Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Prayer is a required tenet, if we can use that word today, a required tenet of our Christian walk with God. When we talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it simply means we are a follower of him. And if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we should look at those who followed Jesus Christ and emulate what was in their lives and the things that Christ taught them to do, we should do also. Jesus took his disciples to the mountain in the garden just before his betrayal he leaves the the group he calls out his three Peter, James and John he says come with me a little bit further they go a little bit further into the garden he has those three stay and then he goes even further still and we are familiar with the prayer that Jesus prayed but before he gets to the agonizing part of his prayer, he, he comes back and he finds the three sleeping. Must have been a beautiful garden. Must have been a peaceful place. And Jesus kind of, maybe his humanity came through a little bit. Hey. Can't you pray with me for just an hour? Don't you realize I'm at the moment of my greatest suffering and you can't be here for me for just a little bit? Jesus has an expectation for those that follow him that we pray. If you study scripture, you find prayer is a common theme throughout scripture. One of the greatest things that you... (laughs) you find in Job's life is that he was a man of prayer. Matter of fact, it was because of his prayer he had such recognition with God. Job was known as a just man. How did God determine or judge Job to be just? Well, because every day he would go and he would pray And he would offer his sacrifice. And he prayed for all the things he knew that needed to be prayed for. And he even prayed in case stuff would happen. You want to talk about having faith in God. Lord, I'm not going to wait until it falls apart and I have to try and figure out how to make it work. Lord, I'm just going to give it to you now. If If the whole day just falls apart, it's in your hands, Lord. Another example of of prayer that comes to me and God responding to people who pray would be Cornelius. You find the story of Cornelius in the book of Acts. He was a faithful. He did not yet understand the fullness of who God was or all that God wanted for him, but he believed in God and he was a praying individual. He was a religious person. And because of his prayer and his commitment to God, God sent an angel and said, you know what, Nicodemus, there's more for you. Go and call Simon Peter and he'll come and and lead your family in what this is. God responds to people who pray. He has an expectation that we would pray. It is prayer is the necessary step in all of our spiritual growth. So over the next few weeks, I believe the Lord will help us and we will study his word. And I pray that God would stir inside of us a new passion for prayer in our lives. If you've ever had questions about what is prayer, how do I pray, what is my responsibility to prayer, be at church the next few Sundays and you will get the answer to those those questions about prayer. Start with this little story today. Have you heard the the story about the ship that was sinking in the middle of a storm? So the captain calls all the crew together. 
tells them the bad news. It looks like we're, we're going down. The storm's too much for the ship. We're not going to be able to make it. I only have really one request to the, to the crew here today, and that is, is there anybody that knows how to pray? kind of quiet and everybody's kind of taken in the somberness at the moment and one one brave young sailor steps forward and says captain i know how to pray i can pray captain says wonderful you pray the rest of us are going to find the life jackets because we're one short (laughs) one time volunteering did not work out We're going to break down the, some common misinterpretations or misunderstandings of, square, of prayer. We're going to look at one of the benchmark verses in the Bible about being people of prayer. We'll see who God calls us to be through prayer and what God will do in his response when we pray. So with that, we're going to go to the book of 2 Chronicles. Chapter 7 and verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. And while you're doing that, I'm going to grab my water. I forgot. You've probably read this verse, heard this verse, saw it on a picture. It's not uncommon to us. If, and we could preach a whole sermon just on those two letters and that word. The Lord calls to us and his commandment is if. If is probably the heaviest word in the English language. What do you mean the heaviest word? Because it transfers all responsibility on the reader. God says, I will take all responsibility and place it on your shoulders, and you get to decide. If, if what? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In this verse of scripture, we find out who should pray. We find the four callings of prayer, and we see God's response to our prayer. So in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the callings of prayer, and then we will close this series out with God's response to our prayer. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is probably one of the greatest callings to prayer in Scripture. God lays it right at the feet of His people. He said, if my people. Everybody wants to be on God's team because we know God wins. Nobody signs up to be on a losing team. Everybody signs up to be on the winning team. So welcome to God's team. We win. We are his people. And God has expectations of his people. (laughs) So when God says, if my people, he's calling not to just the random person. This verse of scripture isn't written to the masses of, of, of humanity. This verse isn't directed to just any random individual. God is making a very specific call, a very specific decision he lays at the feet of his people, my people. Now, God even goes further than just the general statement of my people. He gives us the definition of his people. Because it's one thing to claim something, it's another thing to be claimed. There are a lot of people who claim Christianity, who may be surprised that when they don't live like Christ, 
they don't fall under his umbrella. It's one thing to claim something, but it's another thing to be claimed. If my people, if the people who want to be like me, if the people who are my disciples, if, if quote-unquote Christians, well, who are these? These are people called by my name. If you were here last Sunday, we learned the name of God personified. The name of God is Jesus. If you are called by his name, the name of Jesus Christ, the name whereby all power in heaven and earth is given unto men, the name that we call upon when we bowed our knee in repentance. Lord Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? We probably would pray to prayer something like that. And then we were buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And every need that we have and every time we want to call on God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We are people of His name. We are called by His name. We are covered by His name. We've been buried by His name. We're saved by His name. We're restored by His name. We're encouraged by His name. We're protected by His name. Is there anybody here this morning? It's in the power of His name. We are the people of His name. So if my people, which are called by my name. God takes the, the big question and He focuses in the light. And it becomes a spotlight on exactly who is the audience of this verse of Scripture. The audience is you and I. So when you read 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you don't have to say, well, that's a good verse for so-and-so. No, this is a good verse for me, self, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. This is a good verse for me to read because I'm called by his name. I want to be his people. And he lays at my feet this ultimate decision. Some people may say, well, one person's actions really don't matter. Did you know your prayers matter? There are some people in this world that need prayer. And you're probably the only person that will ever pray for them. There's some people in this world that, that may confide in you and, and share with you a struggle or a heartache they're going through and, and everybody else in the world doesn't even know it. And who's, who's going to be the person that prays for them? You're going to be the person that prays for them. Your prayer makes a difference. Let's look at the other side of how important your prayer is. Oftentimes, many times, as a, as a pastor, we get requests from individuals, can you pray with me for such and such? Or can you pray with me about such and such? And I always say, yes, I'll pray for you. Now, some people have asked me to pray specific prayers, and I'm not really willing to pray the prayer they tell me to pray, but I'll pray on the topic. <laughs> But there are sometimes people come, and, and, and I've experienced this, where, where individuals come and they, they're struggling in their walk with God and they're struggling in, in living for God and they're struggling in getting some, some roots to take hold and, and it feels like they're just being blown every which direction in their walk with God. And it's always, hey, pastor, can you pray with me about this? And hey, pastor, can you pray with me about that? And hey, pastor, can you pray with me about this? I looked at one individual one time and I said, you know what, I don't think you need me to pray for you. I think you need to pray for you. Because your prayer matters. Your prayer matters. There are sometimes you just need to pray about it. There are sometimes I have stuff in my life that I could call my pastor and ask him to pray about. And I'm sure he'd pray about it. He'd put it on his list of things to pray about. 
but really he can't. He can pray and ask God to intervene on my situation. But it's a different prayer when I go to God and say, all right, Lord, here's the deal. It's not prayer by hearsay, if we can. Lord, I heard so-and-so struggling. Would you just reach down and help them? The Lord's like, I'd be happy to, but I haven't heard from them in a while. Our prayers matter. One person's actions make a difference. There was a man in the Bible, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Just living for God, and he gets a vision from the Lord. He gets a message from God. Go down the straight street. There's a man by the name of Saul. I want you to pray for him. Uh, what, Lord? I don't pray for anybody. I wonder if, I wonder if Ananias had been praying the, the week before. Because this is kind of how it works out sometimes. Lord, I'll do anything. Lord, I'll do anything you call me to do, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to say, God, I'll say it. Whoever you want me to say it to, Lord, I'll say it to them. I'll pray whatever prayer you lead me to pray. I'll do it, God, whatever you want me to do. And like the next week, God's like, hey, Ananias, there's a guy in town. His name's Saul. And Ananias is like, yeah, I heard he was coming. <laughs> I heard he was coming to round up all of us Christians, and he was going to give us our death sentence like he's done all the others. One person being obedient to God can change the world. Ananias could have said, yeah, Lord, not me. Not today. But Ananias said, all right, Lord, if you've called me and you're doing a work in his life, I'll do it. I'll obey. And he went and he prayed for a Saul who was a persecutor of the saints. And he was saved. His life was transformed. He went from being a persecutor of the gospel to the greatest missionary ever known. He became the one who fulfilled the great commission of God. Let's do a little Bible history. Book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out that Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are defined geographical areas. And uttermost parts of the earth is probably bigger than Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And the Jews had to get work through some stuff. The Israelites, the the people of God and, and all of their descendants, they had, to, they had to work through some stuff. And, and Jerusalem was, was getting the gospel, and, and it took a little bit of, of, of persuasion to get it out to Samaria and to the, the Judah or Judea. And here's the gospel. It's, it's resting in this one region of the world. And along comes Saul into that region. And he's persecuting. And he's slaughtering. And he's taking captive. And he's putting them all in the prison. And they refuse to obey the commandment of God. They're just happy with me and my family being saved. The in-laws and the outlaws, we got them all saved. We're all here together. It'll be all right. And Jesus had to take a prideful, religious persecutor and convert his heart. And he took the gospel to all the known world. Ananias was one person who responded to God. And one person can make a difference. Your prayers, you, an individual person, your one prayer can make a difference. 
you being a single person who will commit themselves to prayer can change the world. Your prayers can reach beyond the doors that others have closed. Your prayers can reach into prisons. Your prayers can reach into crack houses. Your prayers can reach into places of ill repute. Your prayers can go beyond any limitation. Your prayers make a difference. I've said it a hundred times and it bears repeating. There's only one prayer God can't answer. And it's the prayer not prayed. So pray it. Pray it in faith. Pray it in believing. Because your prayers make a difference. The action of just one person who will sell out to Jesus Christ will have an everlasting impact. Your impact could be as great as Paul's. Or your impact could be as great as Ananias's. Ananias gets like four verses in the Bible. Ananias, that's, that's his, that's his uh, 30 seconds of fame. But man, if it wasn't for Ananias, we wouldn't have all the, God, all the epistles. We wouldn't have all the letters written to the church. We wouldn't have all the instruction in how to live a life pleasing and unto God. Man, I'm sure glad Ananias... Sure, thankful Ananias was obedient to the Holy Ghost. Amen? There's somebody that's going to say, someday they're going to say, man, I'm sure glad. I'm sure glad Trenton Johnson was obedient to the Holy Ghost. I'm sure glad Lee was obedient to the Holy Ghost. They made a difference. They made a difference in my life. They made a difference in my family's life. They made a a difference in generation after generation after generation because that one person was willing to share That one person was willing to pray. They made a difference. So you're the one person. And you're the one person who God has zeroed in on to be a person of prayer. You are called by His name. You are covered by His name. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh of the Old Testament who has become the sacrificial lamb. He is the mighty God come to earth incarnate. As Jesus Christ, we are his people, and he has called us to be people of prayer. In his instructions of prayer to the disciples, they come to him in Matthew chapter 6. Lord, teach us to pray. What a powerful question. Lord, teach us to pray. If you don't understand prayer and you struggle with prayer, let me just give you the most basic and the simplest of definitions of prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. That's prayer. Now you can get into a a whole discussion and education and training and Bible study on, on prayer and different types of prayer. and all the, But the, you boil it all down to its base element. Prayer is simply talking to God. And so if you sit here today and you have questions and you say, well, I don't know how to talk to God. I don't understand what prayer is. Let me tell you the first prayer to pray. Lord, you're talking to God, so you're praying. Lord, teach me how to pray. Lord, teach me how to pray. And in his example, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know your prayer has the ability to take God's will and make it activated here in the earth? What is God's will? It's God's will that none would perish. It's God's will that the gospel would be spread across the world. Your prayer for a missionary at 3 o'clock in the morning can impact an entire nation. 
You thought you woke up because you had pepperoni pizza. Maybe you did. And God's like, there's one awake. And he'll set something on your heart. And if there's something burning in your heart, you don't have to have the full understanding. And you don't have to go into 14 hours of intercessory prayer. But simply take five minutes or ten minutes and say, Lord, there's something on my heart today. You, I feel you placed it on my heart. I'm just going to pray today. Lord, maybe there's a missionary that needs you to interact on and move on their behalf today. Lord, maybe I have a son or a daughter, or you have a son or a daughter that, that could be in some place today, and, you, and then you don't know what's going on at that hour, and you just pray a prayer that God would keep his hand on them. Maybe you have a family member that's sick or ill, and, and you can pray the prayer of faith, and God can move and begin to speak to them. Your one prayer can bring heaven's intention to earth. Prayer is the highway that moves heaven's goods to earth. Well, that's the introduction. <laughs> but I introduced the next four weeks, so we're good. God calls us his people. He lays on us this heavy Choice and responsibility through the word if. He calls us to the obedience of four callings, four actions that God calls us to in 2 Chronicles 7.14. What are the four actions God calls us to? He calls us first to humble ourselves. Secondly, he calls us to pray. Third, he calls us to seek his or yeah, seek God's face. And then fourth, he calls us to turn from our wicked ways. The four callings of prayer. And if we will be obedient to God's request and expectation to us. In these four callings of prayer, he promises that he will respond in three ways. He said he would hear from heaven, he would forgive sin, and he would heal our land. Do you want to get heaven's attention? Humble yourself, pray, seek God's face, and turn from your wicked ways. Do you want God to forgive sin, your sin? Humble yourself, pray. Seek God's face and turn from your wicked ways. Do you want God to heal our land? Then let's bind together. Let's humble ourselves. Let's pray. Let's seek God's face. And let's turn from our wicked ways. I believe if we will be obedient to the four calls of prayer, God, by His word, has obligated Himself to respond in three ways to our prayers. God is the God of order. He's always been the God of order. He's the God that took nothing and put perfect order in the place. You just think about the magnitude and the... Well, just the magnitude of the universe. Not even the whole of the universe. Just bring it down to, to our little corner of the universe, the Milky Way. And the order that functions inside of that part of the universe. How our single star, we call it the sun. I still think Pluto's a planet. All nine planets... Rotate around that star. In perfect order. Their orbits. Their individual rotation. The rotation of those individual planets. Moons around them. 
and there's been no collision. You can't even drive to Walmart hardly nowadays without seeing a collision. This is what happens when humanity is in control of order. But God sets everything in perfect order. And that's on the, the big scale. That's on the, the big picture. And if you were to, to completely zoom into the smallest of zooms, if that's even the right way of saying it. And you go to the molecular level or even the function of just a single cell inside of your body, God is a God of order. He's created this microscopic perfection where energy is brought in and waste is taken out and all these different little components of the tiniest of the smallest cell in your body all function to keep you healthy. God is a God of order. He's always been a God of order and He hasn't changed. So when God gives direction and God gives specific instructions to us it's because he's a God of order and he has an expectation and he's willing to work inside of his defined plan to us. It really makes us look foolish sometimes if we say, well, God, if, what if that plan doesn't work? I don't know. If God was, I don't think God has sarcasm like, like well, like me. But if God had sarcasm, he'd probably respond like, I don't know, how do the billions of cells in your body work? I don't know if we can figure this out or not. Lord, I don't know if this plan for this week is, is really going to work out. Well, I hope it does, because you never know, the moon might collapse. If the, if the moon falls out of the sky, you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to work out. No, no, no. God's will and God's plan always works out. He's a God of order and he sets it in order and he works his plan. And so when he calls us to the first calling of prayer, humility, he asks us to do this first with intention and with purpose. Humility is simply placing ourselves and our priorities in the correct alignment with God. That's humility. Humility doesn't mean we're less of a person. Humility doesn't mean we have to, to give up our identity in Christ. It just simply means we have to be in correct alignment with God. Humility is taking something that is misplaced and putting it back in its right place. When Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of our lives, as Lord of our lives, He has to have the right to do whatever He wants to do in us, with us, and through us. We must be willing to say to him, Jesus, you can do whatever you want with me. That's humility. That is placing ourselves in alignment with him. And that, the practical application of that is God will take your gifts, skills, and talents, and he will begin to use those for the kingdom. Further practical application, if you can't sing, God will not call you to be a worship leader. If you can't clap on the second and fourth beat, God will never call you to be a drummer. But you may have a great personality and have some level of charisma in your personality, and you may be the star greeter or welcome desk worker. Or God may use that personality that you have to, to be the door opener for evangelism. God will use your gifts, skills, and talents for his kingdom and for his purpose. 
But somebody might say, but it's cooler to be the music leader. Says who? There's probably somebody that's sitting around saying, man, it's pretty cool to be able to just have a conversation with just about anybody and be able to, to open up doors of communication. All the introverts are like, yeah. How do you do that? How do you just start talking to people? Says the extrovert. We must be willing to allow God to use us and to place us in alignment for what he wants to do. And that is humility. In the context of scripture here, if you, if you dig into this word, humble ourselves, it simply means to bring down or to subdue. To bring down or subdue. Did you know your biggest battle will not be the devil? Your biggest battle won't be some person that, that tries to interfere with your life or impact your life. The biggest battle is the one that looks at us in the mirror. The biggest struggle is the one that looks at us in the mirror. And this is the call of humility that God calls us to. If we will humble ourselves. Sometimes we want to pray, Lord, humble so-and-so so they'll hear your word. And sometimes we want to help humble them. Man, you just wait until I get to them. I'm going to tell them exactly what they need to do to hear from Jesus. God's like, please don't mess this up. Please don't mess this up. God didn't say, if my people which are called by my name will help humble the world, I'll save the world. He simply said, if you'll humble yourselves, me, if I'll look in the mirror and humble myself, I'll bring myself down, I'll subdue my own self-will, and I will allow God's priority for my life to become my priority for my life. So let's read this scripture in the expanded version. If my people called by my name would bring down themselves or would subdue themselves. Let me tell you, sometimes I think the easier battle would be if Satan was our greatest war that we had to fight. Because I've studied the word enough, I know everything it takes to beat him out. I can plead the blood, I can call the name, I can resist. And I know he's got to flee, he's covered, he's defeated. But man, there's sometimes that Todd Johnson guy. For God to be able to truly use me and for my prayers to, to be, well, the commandment was the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous, availeth. I want my prayers to matter. I want my prayers to work. I want my prayers to be heard. I want my prayers to have results. I want them to be, in the biblical word is, effective. Effectual. I want my prayers to affect stuff. Well, the first step to having an effective prayer life is to have a humbled life. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble them Selves. Luke 15 tells us the story of the prodigal son and his brother. All of us could probably quote the story here today and tell us the, the gist of the story in regards to the prodigal son. But I want to jump to the end of the story of the prodigal son. The father standing on the doorstep and, and everything's already been prearranged for when my son comes home. And he sees his son coming and, and the action plan is put in place. 
the robes gathered, the rings brought, the meals prepared, the festivities are, are kicked off, and it's all going, and it's all roaring, and the house is shaking, and the lights are going, and, and everybody's feasting, and it's, it's a great reunion, and a great celebration is happening, and the older son's coming in from his day's work. He probably heard it before he saw it. What's going on in the house? That's quite a commotion. Why is there so many chariots and horses? And why are all these kids that are playing out in the front yard? Why is everybody gathered at our house? What's the big deal? He gets to the house and he walks in and, and there's his brother in the nice wearing his dad's signature ring. He's the center of all the attention. Everybody's celebrating. The prodigal son is home. Woohoo! Except the big brother, the older brother. See him leaning against the doorpost. Really? That's what this is about? You know how much extra work I had to do since he's been gone? You know how many days I've heard people tell me all the old stories about when he was around? The father was throwing a celebration because his son had returned. But the older brother saw it differently. He didn't see a celebration. He was looking through his own eyes, his own desire, his own pride, his own selfishness. He wasn't desiring what the father desired. He was desiring what he desired. The older brother had come to the field. The merry celebration is in progress. He begins to ask questions. Why him and not me? I'm good. I didn't try and bankrupt the family. I'm good. I never drunk dialed dad at three in the morning. I'm good. They never had to come bail me out of jail. I'm good. Why are we celebrating this guy? Where's my party? You see, it's a matter of perception. It's a matter of understanding. God's view, like the Father's view, is always looking for restoration. And sometimes we get warped in our view, like the older brother's view, and we're looking for self-satisfaction. And this is why God calls us first to humble ourselves so that we can begin to see it from God's perspective. <coughs> the greatest work that God does in this earth is the job of restoring people. The job of restoration. That is His purpose. That is His motive. That is His reason. Christ died on the cross not so that good Christians can become better Christians. Christ died on the cross so that lost people can be saved. If you're a good Christian, let me tell you how you become a better Christian. Keep doing what you're doing. Jesus don't have to die on the cross again for you to become a better follower of him. But the person that's broken, the person whose life has fallen apart, the person who's lost in addiction, bound in sin, they need a restoration in their life. They need someone to heal them. They need someone to forgive them. They need somebody to pray for them. They need somebody to reach heaven and bring heaven's purpose back to them. They need restoration in their life. And that's the Father's perspective. So when God's first commandment to us in prayer is humble yourself, He's saying to us, get in alignment with my perception. Let's take a moment and be introspective. How many times do we pray for the lost? How many times do we pray for something bigger than ourselves? How many times is our prayer focused on something outside of my my needs or my wants or my hurts or my problems or my pains. Lord, let my focus, let my perception, let my priority be brought into alignment with you. Lord, let me humble myself to what you've called us to do. You see, we can't honor God's purpose and be selfish at the same time. 
Luke 16 and 13 tells us, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve yourself and God at the same time. And this is the biggest struggle we face. The biggest struggle is not the political situation in our world today. The biggest struggle of Christianity is not what all the sinners are doing. You know, sinners are supposed to sin, so they're doing what they're supposed to do. The biggest struggle in the church and Christianity today is being willing to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because we can't serve two masters. We can't serve ourselves Monday through Saturday and then put on a, a God-serving mentality just on Sunday. We have to have a life that's transformed. We, if we want effective and effectual prayer, if we want fervent prayer, if we want depth in our prayer, then it has to be Sunday to Sunday all about what Jesus wants. Stay with me for just a minute. It may get bumpy. When a person starts despising the things of God or even becomes apathy, apathetic towards the things of God, their priorities have slipped. Humility has become an issue. This is the reason God says humility is the first action. If prayer is something that we despise, if prayer is not something that we long for, then we need a fresh infilling, we need a fresh overshadowing, we need a fresh touch from heaven. If we don't, if we don't desire to talk to God, I need to evaluate some stuff. Me and Ashley first started dating. Oh, this is going to make me old. She's not near as old as I am. I don't think they had a computer at their house. And I had AOL at my house. Some people are like, AOL, what's that? Old school internet. They'd mail a CD to your house with the instructions on how you can get online and you'd sign up and then you'd they'd start charging you it was old school man you had to have your 28.8k modem or if you were fancy you had a 56k modem and you'd hit connect well no first you'd hit login and your modem would take off Hurry up and connect. Man, I couldn't wait to dial into AOL. I was going to send Ashley an email. I wouldn't have to wait to see her on Sunday to talk to her. I could send her an email. Now, she didn't even have a computer at home. So she'd go to the computer lab during computer class and look up her email. Talk about crazy communication. Nowadays, people are just dropping text messages and direct messages and IMs and constantly connected. We humble ourselves and we open this line of communication to God. He's always available to us. He's always ready to hear from us. We don't have to send him a message and wait for him to open his email. When we humble ourselves to him, there's instant communication between us and God. He should be able to instantly talk to us and we should be able to instantly respond to what he's calling us to. When my will is in alignment with his will, he can call to me. He can talk to me. 
There's a reason people can be believers for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And it seems their relationship with God never grows. They live the same first year experience over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. There's some people who are 30 years experienced in living for God for one year. Because they haven't learned this first. They haven't learned isn't the right word. They haven't responded to the first calling of prayer. Humble yourselves. The scripture commands us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, a true decision for Christ means it was more than just an emotional response. It was real. It comes from a heart that's sold out. And no matter what decisions our repentance requires us to make, we're willing to make them and be led into a life that's changed and transformed. And just as powerful as being obedient to the gospel is to transform our lives, that transformation is still just as powerful every single day that we're willing to surrender to God in prayer. If I prayed to God today with the same desperation as I prayed to Him when I was a sinner, but humility fades from the picture and it just simply becomes our obligation to say a few words to God today so I can check the box. I prayed. Lord, help me. Help me to be humble in your presence. Help me to enter into your courtroom. Knowing that you are the majestic father. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who can change and transform all things. And I will surrender myself to whatever it is you want to do. He says humble ourselves and pray. Before we can ever have true open communication with God, we must humble ourselves in His presence. Would you stand with me this morning? In my spirit today, there is a cry, two cries simultaneously inside of me today. One of them is, Lord, let your conviction stir me to a place of recommitting my prayer life to you. And the second is, Lord, you've placed a great responsibility upon me to be the one who prays your will into this earth. Lord, how do I get in alignment so your prayer, so my prayer can be your will? And Lord, give me the words to pray so that your will is accomplished in this earth. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.